0: saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and preach the gospel to all around, to all tribes and nations and peoples and languages. Go preach the gospel to them. I am the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. It's been given to me I am the mediatorial king over you, so you must go and do my bidding. Hello everyone, and welcome to Methates Radio, the much surer word exposed. Hope you're doing well today, and I hope you're ready to... Enjoy and listen to this episode and take in some good stuff and test it against God's Word to see if it's spot on or not. We're going to talk about, I know, some fairly serious stuff today. Even though some of it is somewhat disheartening, I want you through all of it to keep in mind that our God is sovereign over all things. As it says in Ephesians one verse eleven, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Means that God is currently working all things according to the counsel of his will. Also, some more excitement from God's word, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm one fifteen verse three. Now, the fact that God is sovereign is not an excuse to bury our heads in the sand and just say, oh, well, God's going to deal with it all. We don't need to do anything. But it can provide some consolation to us, some hope that God is in control of this whole thing going on. And so it's moving history in a definite direction. Our God is doing good. He is glorifying his name, and indeed, even he is doing things for our good as well so today we're going to be looking at an article that was on the abc website fairly recently it was about the recent vote by parliament to pass a bill that enforced 150 meter exclusion zones around abortion clinics in new south wales the article was written by sarah garrothy bridget glanville and noir haydar not sure if I'm saying that last one right, but I hope that I am. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some bits of their article and then make some comments on it. And then at the end, we'll finish up with some solid scripture goodness and why we as Christians should care about this, if it's not obvious for the fact that it's about abortion. Without further ado, they write, Upper House Labor MP Penny Sharp who was one of the driving forces behind the bill, described it as a, quote, terrific day for women in New South Wales. But she expressed dismay that the Minister for Women, Tanya Davies, and the former Minister, Prue Goward, were among those who voted against it. Do I need to say, this is not a terrific day. This is a terrifying day. Terrifying for what that means for all the babies that will now more easily be slaughtered. And it's terrifying because some of the very sins that God wiped out the Canaanite nations for are those that we are now celebrating and promoting as good. So I'm sorry, actually, no, I'm not sorry. This is not a terrific day, it is a terrifying day. And you will give an account before God. For those words that you said, I hope and I pray that you repent and that his perfect righteousness covers even that terrible sin of calling this a terrific day. And what about all the women who are engaged in sidewalk counseling, who care about unborn children, who believe in free speech like the former minister Prue Goward who voted against the bill? Or who maybe just share a different worldview? Is it, is it a terrific day for them? By what standard are you saying this is a terrific day for women, blanketly women, in New South Wales? Throughout this article, in the comments made by politicians, we see the identity politics of the left and the totalitarianism that we've spoken of previously. By identity politics, what I mean is basically where Folks, according to their gender, skin color, socioeconomic status, whatever else, are grouped into certain categories, and it's said that you have definitely all of these characteristics because you are, for instance, a white male, or because you are a black female, you must have X number of other characteristics. You fit in this little box because you are part of this group, whereas... I think we should acknowledge that everybody is different and even though maybe there are some characteristics which characterize particular groups more than others, we should judge the individual, not lump them into some category because that's what we want to do or for whatever other reason. So I want to do in light of this comment that it's a terrific day for women on a whole. I want to do a little bit of mathematics here on Mathetes Radio. It's a first time for us, so hopefully we get it right. There are around about 24,960,745 people total in Australia. And pretty much half of these are women. So that makes 12,480,373. Now, the vote which took place gave 62 people that were for for the exclusion zone that is, 18 who were against, and there were 13 who abstained from voting. Now, of that total number, 62 plus 18 plus 13, 62 people equals about 66.66%. So two thirds. 18 people is 19.35%. And 13 people is 13.98%. Now, why am I telling you all this mathematics? Because if we take those same percentages and then split up the total women in Australia, we find that 8,319,417 women were represented in this vote we find that two million four hundred and fourteen thousand nine hundred and fifty two were not represented in this vote were directly the opposite of this vote and we find that one million seven hundred and forty four thousand seven hundred and fifty six women have no opinion about it one way or the other or just didn't want to vote for whatever reason that is assuming granted that the proportions of folks who voted about this are the same, represent the same opinions as those in the general populace. So back to our 2,414,952 people who were against, sorry, women who were against this. The total population of Sydney in 2017 was about 5.37 million. And so what that means is that a bit under half the population of Sydney was not only not represented by the result, but the opposite of their opinion was represented. Now, I don't know if you've been to Sydney recently, or perhaps you listen from Sydney, I don't know, but half the population of Sydney is a whole bunch of people. So I don't think it's okay to say that this is a wonderful day for women, When your worldview can't substantiate what wonderful even is, and when there is so many people who the opposite of their opinion was represented. Not to mention those who didn't vote, who maybe were actually against it, but just didn't want to vote for whatever reason. Now, Tanya Davies, the Minister for Women who voted against the bill, is pro-life. She doesn't like abortion. She likes babies being born. What does that mean? That means there'll be more women. That means that more women will be born. That means there'll be more women in society. If we're going to go down this feministic route, then shouldn't we be producing more women? That would seem to make sense. Anyhow, it's a fantastic day for women. More of the article. And this is Tanya Davies speaking about sidewalk counsellors. She says, They don't force their views onto those women. They offer support and information that may not necessarily be provided within an abortion clinics. She made a slight mistake. They put it in the article. That's fine. May not be provided within an abortion clinic. Singular. Miss Davies said, They don't force their views onto those women. Onto these women, sorry. They are offering simply another choice to these women. Yet this bill will criminalize that offer. Now I ask you, just honestly and plainly, does this sound like an ill-equipped woman? Someone who is unreasonable? Someone who will do a bad job in representing women? To me, this sounds like a polite and very reasonable person. She's not trying to rally emotional support simply putting forward what she sees to be fact. Now take that, in comparison to more of the article. Earlier, Labour's Jenny Eicherson delivered an impassioned plea to her parliamentary colleagues, urging them to protect women against, quote, appalling, behavior of protesters. More quote, We need to call it out for what it is, Miss Eicherson said. Violence, harassment, intimidation of women now this kind of language is just charging up emotional support from those who are already on your side and again humbly and honestly i would ask has this been documented have we seen sidewalk counselors that have harassed that are intimidating women that are violent towards them Maybe it exists, I don't know, but some of the sidewalk counselors that I know, I've honestly thought are too sweet, too gentle. They need to to be a bit more in your face. And I know that's not a fashionable thing to say, but what we're talking about here is literally the difference between life and death. Now back to the comment, intimidation is in some ways reasonable and in others is way too subjective to have any real meaning which is something that is concerning even in the wording of the actual legislation. Words like intimidation and reasonable are words that ought to always make us shudder a little bit. More of the quote, I urge all members of the House when they are making their decision to consider this. We are not acting to curtail free speech or political communication. And so I ask then, what is it then? If it's not curtailing free speech or political communication now Prue Goward makes a comment earlier in the article and I think it's quite insightful though she herself voted against the bill she is actually pro-abortion but she is very for free speech she said that censorship often begins gently and sensitively and if you say oh you can have free speech But 150 meters away, that's still curtailing free speech, and it's more than likely to grow from there. You're not seriously going to tell me that this is going to be the last thing we're ever going to hear about abortion clinics." More quote: We are not stopping people from praying or holding their faith, and we are not imposing overly harsh penalties on people who do not want to harm others. Now, Christianity was never meant to be lived in private. So, in a sense, you are stopping people from holding or living out their faith. Two quick examples. In Galatians 1.17, after Paul is converted, he goes to be instructed by God and then goes straight to ministry. He doesn't keep it in his own little house. He goes straight to ministry. And, of course, how could we go past the Great Commission? Matthew 28? 18 to 19, among other places, says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth, we've talked about that before, in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Where are we commanded to go? To make disciples of all nations. Yes, absolutely. Those under our own roof are are super-duper important. In fact, they should be our first ministry. But we are nonetheless instructed to go and make disciples of all nations. We as Christians are told to go, get out into the world, preach the gospel. A last word from the article I just wanted to say. Good on Ray Williams for supporting the right of people to counsel, speak, and pray. Not much more needs to be said about that. You can read about him in the article yourself. And so why should this bill have been shut down? Well, as Christians, we stand upon God's word. We maintain, hopefully, that it is the only standard. God's law is an authority over all people. So we as Christians, we we admit this, but nonetheless, God's law is the standard. Let me read a short passage from Romans 13, be verses 19 and 20. It says, "Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." So what did it say at the start there? It said whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under law under the law so that every mouth may be stopped every mouth and the whole world may be held accountable to God that's all people and God's law it commands us not to murder it commands us not to murder not just because it's a totally awful thing but because that person that we could possibly be murdering, and in the case of abortion are murdering, is made in the image of God. And so it's actually an assault on God to murder a human being, because this person is made in His image. What else does God's word have to say about abortion? Exodus 21 verses 22 to 25 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, that is, if the child has died from the midst of this fight, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So God's law actually takes the life of an unborn child so seriously it gives the same penalty for the accidental murder of it as for the murder of a fellow born, raised, big human being. That's how seriously God takes the life of the unborn child. And of course, the wonderful positive verse that we hear in Psalm 139 verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. the psalmist speaks about himself while he was in the womb. He doesn't talk about himself as a meaningless bundle of cells, as something which can be dispensed with should the mother or the father or whoever so please. He speaks about himself using the personal pronoun of I, as a person, in the womb, whom God is fashioning in that secret, safe place the mother's womb and so in summing up I know we've talked about a little bit of this before but children are children from the moment they're conceived biologically scientifically biblically it's just undeniable from the moment the sperm fertilizes the ovum that is a child it has all the information that it needs for the rest of its life its eye color its gender its height, all things like this, all that information that it needs to grow and to become what would more obviously look like a human, is there. It is a child. It is a life. And God commands us not to murder, and has shown his judgment on individuals and nations who make a habit of practicing and celebrating such things in the past. With that being said today, this is my, my impassioned plea to you, the listener. If you've partaken in abortion, maybe you're a mom or a dad who has either done that or advocated that it be done. Forgiveness is available in Christ. For everyone who would turn away from this sin and who would trust in Jesus, you can have forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is that in the person of Christ, the sin the punishment for sinners has been absolved he took it upon himself when he died and now he is seated up at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning and so if we will repent if we'll turn from sin and trust in him we can be forgiven of all our sin and we can have eternal life so whether you've partaken in abortion or whether you have just never come to the place of accepting Christ or rather having him accept you through repentance and faith, I would bid you to do that today. God bless guys. This is Tobias signing out on the Radio, the much surer word exposed.